do we want to talk through it a little bit before we get started? Yes. Okay. Um, Initial thoughts. What does this have to do with peace? The arbitrary nature of the themes of Advent. How does this apply to us individually? How does this apply to us collectively? Mm-hmm. Hopefully spiritually. I think that's good. Mm-hmm. I think... I also think it is really tough because he's like, find a place where you like really disagree with each other. Where? Right. Where? I, don't, I, yeah. I don't think that we really strongly disagree with each other. Um, it would have to be on something like little, like my, really like niche. D, very detailed. Right. Like, oh, yeah. And it's not even an argument. I feel like I argue with myself a lot. Oh. Because you just realize like, wait, you can think about this way. Wait, you know. I, as a, as a, an Enneagram type nine, mm-hmm. I have um, struggle mm-hmm. with conflict. Oh, yeah, me too. Even manufactured. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting. I would not have placed you as... I wouldn't... I don't think I've... I guess know you well enough yet to see... I would not have guessed you were a nine. Really? But I maybe... I, are you a wing eight? No. No, you're a wing, wing one. one. That I mean, that makes sense. I could, I could see you as a one. But, really? Because you just... But maybe also you're... I mean, you're in a professional setting. So, like... Yeah. I don't know. I think of nines as, like, very... I guess conflict avoidant is the word, but I have a friend who is nine and you will be talking to her and she will just be like adamantly agreeing to everything you say. And then someone will disagree with what that person said and she'll be like adamantly agreeing with what that person said. It's so funny. Yeah. So that's what I think of as a nine. But I think that that is like, that's like the growth into three, right? Mm -hmm. Is that I have had to do a lot of work like shout out to get therapy to Mm -hmm. like figure out who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. Be able to say like, while my baseline preference is for all of us to literally circle up mm-hmm. and literally sing kumbaya mm-hmm. and like literally like only feel good feelings towards each other. Yeah. Except for the people that we've already decided are not good people. That yeah. Are mean to us. Yeah. are outside of our kumbaya circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like that is like literally if I get like paradise on earth, boom, like there it is. Yeah. But I've had to learn that that is not helpful sometimes Mm -hmm. like sometimes you have to be like even if it is like like actually making my stomach hurt Mm -hmm. um that conflict can be necessary and even kind yeah respectful for sure yeah i mean Um, you owe it to people right i think sometimes and especially like you know and it's also hard for me like sometimes i will have professional disagreements with people that i really like mm-hmm. be like this is a person that i really mm-hmm. enjoy really care about think is like amazing mm-hmm. but in this one context right here in this working environment mm-hmm. it's not working yeah you know mm-hmm. so but that's been a lot of growth mm-hmm. i was thinking the other day so i uh have been at saint mark for five years as of the first of november wow and I was, like, really, like, sort of reflecting on my five years here. And I was, like, the person that I am now would not even rec- – like, the person that I was then would not even recognize the person mm-hmm. I am now. And I am so grateful for that. Yeah. Because because of so many things. But I think in part because I have learned that things that feel like they're going to tear me apart mm-hmm. don't. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Didn't make them less hard. Right. But I feel like there's a period, like there's, first you're just like unaware. I'm also very conflict avoidant. Mm. Are you also an Enneagram 9? No, I'm an Enneagram 5. But 
it's like you're unaware like you do all these actions and these behaviors not understanding why or even asking yourself why do i like this way and then you gain awareness of like oh i don't like disagreeing or arguing i i avoid fights but like that doesn't mean all of a sudden now you can so then you're like you have that awareness but you can't change your behavior and then it's like that long hard process of like actually trying to like adjust adjust and like you have this idea of who you you know see like your best qualities as but it's like that's like an ideal that you're constantly trying to absolutely peace i I feel like peace is one of the more arbitrary Mm -hmm. themes of advent because i think like aaron mentioned like peace isn't happiness like joy isn't happiness Mm -hmm. is peace like i don't know it's like acceptance but it's not like a loss of agency it's like somewhere in the middle and i feel like with these kind of things that are so arbitrary in every moment it's not going to mean the exact same thing absolutely and i think that Peace also is like to have peace with yourself means different than to not be in conflict with someone Mm -hmm. or to be at peace with someone is different than just like having a truce or drawing a line or having a boundary or like having peace with God or with our earth. Like there's just so many different Mm -hmm. ways that peace manifests itself. And I think Mm -hmm. that is the part that is really tough. I think I just, I feel a muddled, um, I feel muddled about this week and I don't know yeah. how to, I don't know how to sort of pull out of that. Oh, uh, yeah. So maybe we just talk about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's just really quick then. Okay. Intro, passage. Okay. I'm going to read through the passage real quick so that I won't be surprised. Have you ever asked yourself if the writers of the Bible were like bad writers? Right. Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> or the tra- why are the sentences structured? Like this? Or the translators of the Bible? Yes. Why did yes. they do this? Like, I'm so confused. Every sentence in this starts out. You think it's going one way, and then it goes another way. And then they're like, "Just kidding." Psych. Here we go. Yeah. Shall we? Yes. All right. One for Matthew. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Less Lonely, More Loved, a podcast mini-series from our young adult ministries here at St. Mark United Methodist Church of Atlanta. We're back with Advent, part two. Our theme this week is peace, and Megan and I are here to bring you a passage from the New Testament from the book of Hebrews. So, Megan, why don't we're just going to jump right in this week. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a stranger in the land that he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were joint heirs with him of the same promise. For he was waiting for the city that had foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even though Sarah herself was barren, she received power to knit together seed in spite of length of life, because Abraham considered God faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and that one practically dead, descendants were born. 
as the multitude of stars of heaven and the innumerable grains of sand by the shore of the sea. In faith died these, all without receiving the promises, but from a distance they saw and welcomed them. They acknowledged that they were strangers and sojourners on the earth. So Megan, you and I were literally, right before we started recording, talking about sometimes the writers of the Bible make no sense. Like yeah. their sentence structure is long. Yeah, that passage was a doozy. And windy. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it was the writers, maybe it was the interpreters, but woof, there's so much here. So initial reactions. Um, here in this fine passage from the book of Hebrews, we're talking about peace. Mm-hmm. Megan, mm-hmm. En- enlighten us. Where is the peace? <laughs> it seems like in this passage, there is this back and forth of the idea of having peace or, but also lacking mm. peace. Um, it seems like, yeah, Abraham has this promise uh, from God and that, you know, dies before he sees that fulfilled. Um but that doesn't seem to negate that this sense of peace for him. Yeah, that they, like that Abraham was promised by God an inheritance of land and of children for generations and generations to come. And you know, even though it said Abraham lived a long time, you only see so many generations in mm-hmm. your lifetime. And so at some point he had to die believing that the promises that God had made to him would be fulfilled. And it feels a little bit, I don't know. I, I think that I think that there is sort of the peace that passes understanding that we talk about, mm-hmm. but it also feels a little arbitrary. Like, mm-hmm. how are we defining peace? Where is the peace present? Is it conf- like a is it peace that's confidence? Is it peace that is a piece that allowed him to like release his life. What is the, I don't know. Yeah. Piece that is acceptance. It could be. I also, I also am sort of like wondering the promises that Abraham was given by God. It's really hard to sort of understand what those might look like for Abraham as a person who lives outside of that historical reality outside of that cultural reality, but very much present in my own cultural and societal realities, like living in this moment in time and in space. And so it feels a little maybe cringy to me for Abraham and Sarah to be like sort of glorified in this Hebrews passage and their story to be glorified in this way. Not because it's incorrect for Sarah and Abraham's story to be sort of spoken about in the Bible in this way. But I think my fear resides in the adoption or the adaptation of this story by white American people who are wealthy, who want, and you know, I'm coming from like my own like evangelical baggage and background, right? So I guess my fear is people being like, we have the promises of Abraham and Sarah, which like even coming out of my mouth, like my heart rate just increased a little bit. Like the idea that 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 people who already have so much, 
who are already sort of living at the top of the white supremacy pyramid, who are already living on the unceded land of indigenous people, who are already sort of miracles of science in some way, like we're all like vaccinated and have eradicated polio and, you know, like we've done like amazing things, cool. But I think my fear is that in the reading of the scripture that we would in some way adopt it as a promise that God is giving to us rather than appreciating it and looking at it and examining it. It's a promise that was given to a very specific set of people in a very specific time who likely were situated at the margins when they were given this like good news from God. And so I guess that's sort of where my like initial resistance to this passage as something to elevate in Advent comes from. Because in our elevation of the passage for Advent, what I don't want to happen is I don't want it to be carte blanche for white people to be like, we're waiting for the peace of God and the peace of God looks like being given land that isn't ours and children that aren't ours, like let's say, um, and situating ourselves in the center of the narrative. I think like that's like where the rub is for me. Right, and if we're trying to interpret where peace is in this story and then where, um, how apply that to our life and our world right now, I would think a lot of people, most people would say that we don't exist in a very peaceful world or a very peaceful time. And to use a text like this to interpret um, peace coming from a promise that is like a far off gift, I guess, from God without thinking about and investigating what ways um, that we can be trying to cultivate peace in our world today. Like you said, we already exist on stormland. We are already inhabiting a place um, that was cultivated through a lot of oppression and exploitation um, that is still very much impacting the type of society and culture and relationships that we can even have today. And a lot of that is we're not able to be in a place of peace because we still have so much hurt and pain that has been perpetuated in our country. And like certainly like peace, achieving that has something to do with us, you know, create writing and healing from those wrongs. Right. Yeah, I guess like even though I live here and I would have some sort of like my like the roots of my life are in this space, figuring out how to acknowledge that I'm also like a sojourner, like Mm -hmm. the writer talks about in Hebrews, like Abraham and Sarah acknowledged that they were strangers and sojourners on the earth. And I wonder if there is like a almost like a piece that comes from that, like knowing that you are and i maybe i would even suggest that we sort of like use the term guest like for the thing that's coming into my mind like not necessarily always but if i'm in someone else's home i am more likely to like act right like i'm more likely to like take my shoes off at the door 
and make sure that I don't like break their things and like make sure that I am like acting accordingly in someone else's space. Whereas when I get home, like kicking my shoes off wherever and leaving them wherever and going to fix myself a snack and leaving my bowl by the sink and, you know, like just like not necessarily treating that space with perhaps all of the kindness or respect that it deserves because it's like my space, right? So I can sort of treat it how I want to. And I'm wondering if as we are considering like where is peace in this text, if we're thinking about like how we treat one another and also this planet and if we treated one another in this planet as if we didn't own it, but as if we were guests. Like I just wonder how we would, like how we would act sort of. <laughs> and maybe that's sort of a left turn from the passage, but there there feels to me to be, you know, if I, if I sort of alleviate myself of the anxieties of being like, oh no, white people are gonna be like, the promises of Abraham and Sarah are ours. Therefore, um, we just believe that God has given us these things. Um, and, and so we are ignorant to harm caused as like we plow our own way to like the quote unquote promises of God and rather seeing it as like a Abraham and Sarah knew that they were strangers in this land and still they believed that like the promises of God were there for them. And so like, how do we create peace in our midst? understanding that like we are not in charge but like our co-conspirators with other people well that what that makes me think of differentiating between okay there's aspects of our lives that we are just never going to be able to control right and then there are aspects of our lives that we can control yeah and i think we're often unhappy um or we 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 think we have unhappiness that is coming from the lack of control that we can exert on our lives or on our circumstances, other people. Um, but finding peace maybe is striking that like balance between well, what do people say? And is it in AA where you say like, what's that prayer where? Oh yeah, um, God help me to. Oh my gosh. It's like something about accepting the things that I cannot change and the courage to know the difference. Oh, this uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. Like becoming comfortable with the fact that like there is going to be, you know, twists and turns in life that you, you didn't plan for and can't control, but also still maintaining that agency that you have to be an active participant in your life and what's going on around you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like we were talking a little bit about um, like living on unceded land of indigenous people um, and like the, the idea of like the land back movement and how important that is to ensuring that we are returning the space upon which like that we are guests, like we don't own this land. Um, you know, like if we're going to invoke Disney's Pocahontas, understanding that there's a lot of problems with that telling of the Pocahontas story, but like the, the song, like you think you own whatever land you land on, like that whole idea. But if we are stating in some way, like I am not 
the reason that I am here, but I can take responsibility for being here. Like we might not be responsible for the action piece of like being white people who live in this section of North America, but we do have control over understanding the impact of our presence and then like working from there. Like we're not just like, oh, I didn't come through Ellis Island. It's not my fault. But I still, even though it's not like necessarily my fault, I still have a role and a responsibility mm-hmm. to return, like to returning the land to peace. Because so long as indigenous people are not on their land, there is no peace. You know, I, it reminds me a little bit of, this is maybe a jump, this reminding me a little bit of after George Floyd's murder in 2020, and there were protests and marches and at every public space that I knew of, because like we were, in, we were in COVID, the vaccine wasn't ready for like administration yet. And so, but every public space, people were like gathered, but trying to social distance to like keep each other safe. But everyone in the crowd, like chanting, like no justice, no peace. And the idea that like, because there was this like apparent, obvious, infuriating lack of justice, there was also this present and fervent and like well-masked, but still like blocking streets level of no peace. And I'm wondering if there's sort of a, a, a way in which these things come together in the story of Abraham and Sarah. I wonder if there is within peace, there's this aspect of existing in, I guess, like right relationship with yourself or with God or your community, like the morals and the standards that you hold yourself to. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of times when we make mistakes or we're hurtful to somebody, whether that's a big thing or a small thing, what you want is to somehow like it to go away or for you to get away with it and it's like but in reality what will actually bring you peace is like being able to do what you need to do play your part in justifying making amends and healing in the in whatever situation that was yeah that i i feel like megan like i feel like you just like brought everything together in acknowledgement Right, like Abraham and Sarah are in this land that isn't theirs, reaching this sort of promise that is like theirs but not yet, but there is this acknowledgement of where they are situated in time and in space and within the promise of God. And I wonder if that is the key to peace is that when you acknowledge something, it's before you and there is some sense of ownership over the acknowledgement that then helps us work to create peace. And so there's this putting before you all the time, the way that that in the passage in Hebrews, Abraham and Sarah, or the writers say, Abraham and Sarah knew that they were strangers and knew that they were sojourners on the earth. And I wonder if that is sort of the story of peace, like that we are sort of sojourning together in this really unknown territory. But I feel like that's also really hard Right. Like that, we can't just like romanticize like, oh, like we all acknowledge that we have like mm-hmm. fallen short 
and we have to do better and we like say that and we feel good about saying that like there has to be action associated with it do you think that fear is the opposite of peace because the reason why i ask is like acknowledgement i think so much i've experienced that is like sometimes we are so driven by fear in ways that we don't even understand and acknowledging something can so quickly bring you back down to center and back down to feeling grounded. And I associate that feeling with feeling peace. Um, But when we are not willing to, we don't have an awareness or we're just not willing to acknowledge something because we feel so much fear around whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, yes. And also I think that there is like deep shame present because I think that fear, fear prevents us from acknowledging things. Because once you acknowledge something, it is really difficult to stay in the place where all you're doing is acknowledging it. Because once you understand that like the proverbial elephant is in the room, then you have to figure out either how to get the elephant out of the doorway, or you have to figure out how to eat that elephant one bite at a time, right? Like to mix my metaphors. So it's either fear, to do the acknowledgement because acknowledgement means doing the work or it's shame because you know exactly how that elephant got in there in the first place. It came in as a baby elephant and then you ignored it while it grew until it was so big of a problem that the amount of work that it's going to take to solve that problem fills you with shame or anxiety. And I think that that is the root of so many of our like interpersonal problems, but also like our societal issues that we feel a level of fear around letting go of power, but we also feel a level of shame for having to acknowledge that like we were power hungry to begin with. And while like I understand like from just like my personal deconstructing of my faith, that doesn't have anything to do with who God is, right? To say like, oh, like I got this wrong. I misinterpreted. But for some people that really feels like the end of the world because their faith is stacked upon these assumptions about who God is. And that if you take that like one Jenga tile, right? Out from the middle to do some acknowledging about, hey, like maybe this was a misread. Maybe this was a misinterpretation because this interpretation did harm there is like a very real possibility that your entire faith system could collapse. And that's terrifying to people. So it makes me wonder sort of what, what is our role in sort of getting back to that place? Like, is it is it a calling to feel guilty and shame? Is it a calling to responsibility? Is it reconciliation? Is it redemption? Like, what's... We're plopped down in the middle of the story. And if it's choose your own adventure, what's our role? First, a a calling to openness Mm. and understanding that um, we might not fully understand what the right course of action could be. And it certainly is probably not what we would imagine for ourselves. So having a a sense of openness, um, especially for people who are white like a a participation and it's a calling to listening and stepping back um, realizing that 
I think we have this elevated sense of self that like all solutions, all good ideas certainly have to come from me, right? Right. And so what would my role be if it wasn't for me to be in charge? So getting comfortable with just... Taking a back seat. Sitting down. Yeah, just <laughs> sitting down. Yeah. Yes. Listening. Yeah. I think like what you were saying earlier about the serenity prayer is so perfect because it really is asking for serenity to accept the things that we can't change and then the courage to change the things that we can. Right. I think people who, yeah, individuals, people who are white who start becoming more and more educated on our history on just the world as it is, it can quickly flip into, you know, going from um, someone who's completely unaware of all the like harm that is just existing in our world to now I'm someone who has to save everything, right? Because right. clearly, you know, I'm here to save things. And, <laughs> right. And so that's not the right stance right. either. I think that that's so important because I think that one of the tools of white supremacy is action without reflection and the idea that we have to do some acknowledging, some listening, and then like doing the internal work before we are able or allowed to sort of like put our hands to the external work. Because I think that action like busyness is also an excuse to not actually look at the root of the problem or to explore our feelings attached to it. Because if I'm busy, I'm doing things I don't have time to feel. I don't have time to feel shame or guilt or embarrassment or fear. If I'm like doing, if I'm doing the thing. So we can still do the thing and still not be actually doing the work. And I think that that's why it's really important for us to understand the difference between reconciliation and redemption, right? That if we are, because I think that redemption brings about real, real peace. I mean, I think they both do in their own ways, but if we are going to bring about peace on earth, right? Like we're in Advent, we're like anticipating the peace of God, like being born onto our planet, into our midst, into our humanity. So we have to believe that we are capable, like if we're co-creating with God, we have to do the work of redemption. Yeah, well that, that makes me think of these like dual aspects of our human existence on earth of like, as people who have faith in God and have faith in this like promise that seems to be coming far off and will be all encompassing of everything versus the other experience of we are, you know, individuals in the world who are all experiencing different times of pain and different times of joy and see God working in the midst of that in our individual lives. Um, and I think with reconciliation, everyone who either on an individual or communal level is experiencing oppression or trauma in some way, I think as humans, we are very resilient and um, for me, I see God in that in, in reconciling situations in, um, but also redemption, I think, is on the other side of that. 
where how can all people be involved in coming together and creating um, peace, not just how can you find, you know, your own individual peace in a hard situation is like, how can we create something new together? Right. How can we create something new together? And how can we understand that all of our, all of our peace is like inextricably knit together. And so we have to do it together in order to arrive. Like all of our liberation is contingent upon the liberation of all others. And so how do we, how do we do peace on like, like in the thick of it, like day to day to day. And I think that that is the the part that there's no quick fix, right? Like we live in this like world of instant gratification. There's no quick thing that we can do. There's no prayer that we can pray. There's no like return of investment that we can give that wipes away like the history of hurt. So we have to like really put like to like be really biblical about it. Like there's a, a time in, um, I think it's in the gospel of Matthew where Jesus talks about like, you can't put your hand to the plow and look back. So it's like, we have to do our reflective work so that then we can like put our hands to the plow and like move forward together. And, you know, that's not to say that we shouldn't reflect on the past as a teacher and as a, as a guide. But I think that as we are like repairing the breaches of humanity together, that we have to do that with clear consciences, without fear, without shame, without guilt, but with like a, an equal part of responsibility. Yeah, and that's very true. I also think that, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about peace. And I think that peace is something that is something that exists a little bit more on like a spiritual plane. And so, you know, I think about like, um, like the calling of like peace on earth and like goodwill to all of humanity. And in this Advent season, I think that that is, while it is like the beginning of our liturgical calendar, it is also a beginning of the work the work of this like very like arduous spiritual work of creating peace. Cause again, you can't just like be like, ah, here's peace. We've just been like keeping her locked up in this little Pandora's box. We're just like release it into the world, but it requires creation. And it requires creation for all of us together well, there is this aspect, and I think we might have already touched on this already, but of Advent or even of the liturgical calendar that is very cyclical. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned earlier instant gratification. And that I think is just such a point of, of suffering and annoyance in our current day and age. I certainly feel that way. It's like, it doesn't exist if it's not happening right now. Like, that's how I feel. Yeah. I think that's how a lot of people feel. Right. And, but I there is something to learn from the cyclical nature of our year of Advent and 
being forced to come back to meditate on these themes each year, I have this, um, this just the story that popped in my head from talking about this. I ha- I used to see a spiritual director mm-hmm. and she, we were just kind of talking about different spiritual practices that maybe I could do. And she was telling me about this group um, that she met with to do, what's it called? When, uh, Lectio Divina. Yeah, Lectio Divina. But that she had been doing it for like 15 years. Yeah. And... I was just speaking with her about how hard it feels to start something new in my life, in my routine. Right. And how it just sometimes it feels impossible. And like you'll do it one time and you're like, well, then the next week comes around and you're like, well, I didn't really even get that much out of it. So I'm not going to do it because I have something else I need to do. But then when you think about 15 years of meeting with a group of people every week to do prayer or scripture reading or whatever, that with that perspective it just changes you know how you would relate to it right and like doing it once and being like i didn't get a lot out of that or it was hard or something came up that i didn't like or i didn't feel good at it and like that is all the more reason to come back and like keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again you know, it reminds me, so I am like an avid practitioner of yoga. I take vinyasa yoga and I also teach vinyasa yoga. And it reminds me of like the practice of yoga that I, the very first day that I went to a yoga studio and I stood on my little mat and I was awful. And like, you can't be bad at yoga, right? Like as a yoga teacher, I feel like I need to like qualify that like no one is bad at yoga. But my perception of myself in the practice was that I couldn't do a forward bend and touch my toes. I was so inflexible. I couldn't do a plank for longer than like maybe three seconds. I like was winded and tired and everything hurt. And at the very end of like that very first class, I remember feeling so defeated And I have honestly no reason why I showed up the next time. Like, I don't remember why I kept going, but I kept going. And now that I'm like five years into practicing yoga, planks don't feel difficult anymore. And I can touch my toes even like without stretching. I'm perfectly cold. I can touch my toes. And I can look back on all of that and say like, oh, growth, practice, like I made it. But it's really hard when we apply those things to spiritual practices or even to like really arbitrary themes of Advent, like peace. Like the first time that we tried to work our way towards peace, it probably feels really stiff and really inflexible and really uncertain. And like everybody else in the class knows what they're doing and you don't and you feel foolish and like everybody's looking at you. But then like you, like you keep going, right? Like. It makes me think of, like, the work of anti-racism. Like, when I first sat with a group of people doing anti-racist work, I was so embarrassed by how little I knew and by how, like, quote-unquote not good at it I was. And now I've just, like, learned the humility to be, like, white supremacy is a tea that I have been steeping in my whole life, and it continues to impact who I am as a person how I think, 
how I act and react. And because I now have utilized that muscle, I no longer feel the same level of shame that makes me want to hide. It's like I feel a level of shame that makes me want to be better because I know that better is possible. Like I know that peace is possible. And so I think that like you're saying, if you do something once and you decide that like you quit, you might never actually get to see the benefit of those 15 years of practice. And so if we just decide that peace is not available to us, then we never get the benefit of that practice. And so I hope this week, if you are sitting in a moment of fear or shame or guilt, I hope that you will lean into the practice, that you know that peace is arriving and arriving and arriving and arriving in every moment. And I hope that that makes you feel less lonely and more loved. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a production of the Young Adult Ministry and the Communications Ministry at St. Mark United Methodist Church of Atlanta. The views and opinions expressed here on this podcast are ours and not necessarily those of St. Mark United Methodist Church or its ministries. We operate under an Adobe standard license for all music and sound included on this podcast. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, head to our website at stmarkumc.org. That's stmarkumc.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at stmarkumcatl and on YouTube at stmarkumcatlanta. Episodes of Less Lonely, More Loved will be released every Tuesday and Friday during Advent and will be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, and more. If you enjoy the podcast, or even if you don't, we would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and comments. Send all emails to mcesari at stmarkumc.org. That's M as in Mary, C-E-S-A-R-I at S-T-M-A-R-K-U-M-C dot org. We hope you will continue to engage with us, either in person or in one of our many virtual spaces. As always, all are welcome. <laughs>